Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Good evening, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Tonight's guest actually came to me back with an email after one of our live story night events. That is how we got to meet each other. And I am very thrilled to introduce you all to my friend, Rachel. So Rachel, would you give us a a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. My name is Rachel. I am the mother of three daughters and two of them still live at home, although one kind of bounces back and forth. And we have a puppy that causes chaos through the house. I'm a nurse. And I enjoy gardening. So with all the time off, we have a huge vegetable garden this year. And I think I've planted almost 40 dahlias so far this year. Oh my gosh. I think, you know, one thing that might come out of all of this is just the beautification of homes and yards. And absolutely, it's, it seems to be an on, ongoing theme. I know my husband's working on relandscaping our backyard right now as well. So before we dive into, you know, your your whole story, I wanted to stop for a moment, like we always do, and kind of check in on each guest about her life right now with the new sort of pandemic normal. But not only are we living this kind of pandemic life, but it, it's also Mother's Day weekend. And that just brings, without the pandemic, Mother's Day brings a whole wide range of emotions from the most joyful to heavy grief. And then you throw a pandemic in that as well. So before I ask you anything else, I just wanted to stop for a quick moment because really one of the main purposes of Story Night is to remind women, you are not alone. Whatever your story is, whatever you are going through, whatever feelings you are having during the pandemic, whatever feelings you are having about Mother's Day weekend, I promise you, you are not alone. There are tribes of women (laughs) that are dealing with the same kinds of things. So if I could just say, if you are a mother of one or a mother of 15, you are not alone. If you are celebrating your first Mother's Day and it kind of is all turned upside down because of the pandemic, you are not alone. If you are an adoptive mom, or if you were a birth mom, or a surrogate mom, or if you are a mom who has lost a child to miscarriage or stillbirth or infant death, or if you lost a child in any other way. If you are a child who's lost a mom, maybe this is your first Mother's Day without your mom, or if there's any kind of a a broken relationship, or on the other end, if you've reconnected with your mom or suddenly this is the year, maybe this pandemic brought great healing and restoration and has greatly improved your relationship with your own mom or your own children. If you are a mother in waiting, if you are dealing with um, infertility, if you are a mom that has gone through an abortion, if you are a mom that gave up a child for adoption, I, you know, I really, I could go on and on with this list, but I just, I just want every woman out there to know you can't be a woman and not have Mother's Day invoke some kind of emotion within you. And I know that that just has a great spectrum there. So whether you are just rejoicing and celebrating and joyful this weekend, or whether this might be the hardest weekend of the year for you, you are not alone. And with that, (laughs) Rachel, I wanted to ask how you were doing personally during this pandemic normal and, and really, you know, what does Mother's Day weekend look like for you this time? Well, for us this year, um, it does look different. 
we've always enjoyed celebrating Mother's Day with my mom. And my mom has dementia and she's in a nursing home and they have done a fantastic job of caring for her. And they've even done a fantastic job of keeping us connected with them. Every morning they go around and they do a video greeting, good morning to all the residents that are up and about. So in some ways I get to see her a little bit more because they're videoing her. And so I get to see her smiling face every day. And what they've asked us to do for Mother's Day this year, since we can't go in and visit, is bring a a box or a gift for them. And then they open up that gift with them one-on-one on Facebook. So we get to see their reaction So, of course, I bawled whenever (laughs) I dropped the gift off for her. And then it was a tearjerker again whenever I got to see her open it up on the video. My mom really doesn't, I don't think, know who I am. She just knows I'm a familiar face. So it just brings me so much happiness to know that she's being well cared for and that she's happy in the moment which is my prayer for her every day is that she's just happy in the moment as she goes through this crazy pandemic. So that's kind of where we're at. Other than that, we're doing pretty good. We'll probably do a little barbecue at our house and I've got two girls at home and I am so grateful for that. I'm so glad to hear. And I am, again, just let me give a shout out to all of the healthcare workers and nursing care workers, people who are at at retirement homes. They're just providing that sense of care and compassion for not only the not only the people that they're caring for but the families as well. We really appreciate that. I think it's amazing that that they're doing that. So Rachel, I would like to invite you to share your story with us and um, just kind of take us back maybe through what are you know sort of some of those threads that have been ever present throughout your story thus far. So I can look back through my life, certainly, and see threads that have been common through each stage of my life. My grandmother once wrote her own narrative, and she called it, my life is a roller coaster, where she described so many challenges and triumphs in her life. I can certainly relate to that and say the same has been true of my life. And my mom always said to me, you know, I know you will always land on your feet, regardless of what you're going through. But I gotta say some of those challenges were much more difficult to overcome than others. Also, I can look back over my life. I've always believed in God. I don't remember ever not believing in God. But as a young adult, I didn't know anything about having a relationship with God. That would come much later in my life. But looking back, I can still see his hand in my life protecting me and guiding me even when I was making poor decisions and not being a good follower of Christ. I think I've persevered through many challenges in life, but truly it has been God who has had my back the whole time. He's pretty good at that. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, I love that your grandma has her own narrative. I think that's such a that's such a treasure to have somebody's life story that's, you know, an ancestor of yours and to be able to look back at that. And I'm pretty sure most of us could give the same exact title, My Life is a Roller Coaster. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent there. But yeah, and you're right, you know, God somehow manages to keep us on our feet, even even when we don't know that's what he's doing. And even when we don't really know him very well, he he knows us super well. Absolutely. (laughs) So let me ask a little bit about your your early life, a little bit about your childhood and, you know, your parents, where you were were born and uh, how you ended up in Oregon. 
So I was born down in San Francisco, California. My dad was 50 years old when I was born and my mom was 18 years younger than he was. So when I was born, my dad had already had a family and he had a first marriage and he had two grown children. So they weren't in the home. I was their only child and they were very loving parents and they gave me a great childhood. They also sheltered me a great deal. When I was five years old, we moved to Oregon because my dad had been experiencing health problems. Um, He retired from his job and we came to Oregon and they purchased a little farm. Looking back as an adult, I can totally see that the idea was that my mom would have support and she would be closer to family in the event that he passed away. And his health was failing quickly at that point. However, that little farm provided a great way for him to stay physically active. And I think the pace of life slowed down a great deal. And it was just a simpler life. So as a result, we had 10 more years with him before he passed away. So for me, that was the difference between having vague memories as a five-year-old child of my father versus having a relationship with him that I'll remember for my whole life. You know, what great wisdom from your parents to do that as somebody who also did the exodus from California to Oregon partially in search of that simpler, slower pace life. It sounds so beautiful and great on the surface, but sometimes it's it's hard to actually pull the plug and do that. So what a wonderful thing that they actually did it. And, you know, maybe it wasn't the easiest move to make, but it sounds like it reaped great rewards and provided an extra decade. It did. It was a wonderful decision on so many levels for them. Well, I'm glad they made the decision because you ended up in Oregon for me to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) And here's where a little bit of our stories are similar. Uh, Your your college degree. So tell, tell us a little bit about your college life. Shortly after my father passed away, my mom decided to go back to school. She'd always been a stay-at-home mom, and she, before I was born, was an elementary school teacher. So she was setting an example for me by going back to school to earn her master's degree. She was showing me that it was a way to be self-sufficient. And so as a result, after high school, I ended up going to the University of Oregon. I earned a bachelor's degree in sociology, which was great as far as showing that I can make it through four years of school, (laughs) achieving a goal that way. But it didn't really give me any concrete job skills. I really wanted to work in the healthcare industry. I knew that, but I didn't have the confidence to do those science classes back then. So when I graduated from the University of Oregon, I started out my career doing activities in nursing. Okay, before we jump into talking a little bit about your career path, I wanted to ask for you to share a little bit about how you met your first husband and just sort of what that was like for you, especially kind of being raised as an only child in a very sheltered home and just how some of your background will start to play into your story how you feel about yourself and and your decisions. So very shortly after I graduated from the University of Oregon, I met my first husband. We were never, ever a good match. My daughters to this day will look at us or look at the relationship and wonder how we ever ended up together. We had very different beliefs. Our approach to life was just completely different. But I was very insecure, and I did not think that anyone would genuinely want to marry me. And I naively thought that I could make a marriage work, or we could make a marriage work, even though it was a lifelong commitment. I was very shy, very quirky. 
and he gave me attention. And so I thought, let's make this work. My mom, when she was a child, she was not protected. So they overprotected me and taught me not to trust people in general. But ironically, as a result, I have this pattern of trusting people who prove to me over and over again that they shouldn't be trusted. And this, unfortunately, was one of those instances. Yeah. I I think there are a great many women that can identify with so many pieces of that, the insecurity in particular, and Mm -hmm. and how much, well, really all humans, but, but women in particular, insecurity drives so much in our lives. And it takes, I mean, it just sort of kind of takes the wheel of the car and takes us down paths and and twists and turns that maybe we would not uh, have ever done had we not had the insecurity in the first place. Right. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about how how this marriage was for you and kind of how you were uh, feeling and, and sort of where was God in the middle of all of that? So there were definitely good things that came out of this marriage. My two oldest daughters came from this marriage. And you can never look back at something when you have something as precious as children and say it was the totally wrong thing to do. So there's that. But also the first time that I can see, look back over my life and clearly see God's hand in my life was when we built our house together. We did that through a community help project where 10 other families got together and basically through sweat equity, we didn't have the down payment on the house, but we earned that through building our own house. My husband at the time, when I saw this opportunity, um, shot it down real quickly saying there was no way because we were both working full-time 40 hours plus a week and we had our first daughter that it would work for us. But his dad, after he'd already dismissed the idea, brought a newspaper article to us and said, you guys would be crazy if you didn't try for this at least. So we decided to apply for it and see what would come of it. And literally, when we applied, we qualified almost down to the dollar because if we'd had any higher income or any higher debt, we wouldn't have qualified for that program. So that was a pretty, I think, remarkable time for me and looking back, seeing God's hand in that. It's always amazing how he can bring other people in your life to provide an answer or kind of help direct a path. In this case, it sounds like your father-in-law was in the right place at the right time with the right information. Isn't that amazing? And, (laughs) you know, you don't even realize that God's using you at the time. So within a couple of years of moving into that house, we had our second daughter and everything was, I thought, pretty good for a year or so after that. But he came home one night and just kind of out of the blue said he was done with our marriage. He didn't want to try anymore and wasn't open to the idea of counseling. He just wanted to be out and free from that lifestyle, which was a family lifestyle. And you had no signs or indicate, just no clue that this was coming? I had no clue it was coming. Our marriage, like I said earlier, we were not a good match and it was always a struggle. He was not abusive or anything like that. We just never were on the same page. We'd been married for seven years and that wasn't anything different than it had been the entire time. Yeah. But he wanted out and I was still in the mindset of being a wife. So I chose to allow him to stay until he could find a place to live that was safe so that our daughters could continue to visit with him. Do you think you were feeling any denial or grief at that time or or anger at God? 
I don't know about anger at God because I don't think I had enough of a, I didn't have a relationship with God. I had a belief in God. I had the religion part, but I didn't have the relationship part. So I don't think that was it, but I think I was definitely grieving and in shock and probably in a lot of denial because in my mind, that was good, bad, or indifferent. That was supposed to be a lifelong relationship. So sure. very quickly after that, though, um, he was gone, not even three months, I don't think. And I met my second husband. And that was a disaster. There was no healing at that point that had taken place. And I was simply looking for someone that would take care of me and my kids. I thought that I needed to have that second person. I thought my daughters needed a father figure. And I thought I needed someone to take care of me. Looking for another relationship was a completely wrong move to make for so many reasons, including reasons that he showed me just in how he interacted with me, how he interacted with my daughters. It really wasn't a good idea, but foolishly, I ended up marrying him. I quickly Mm -hmm. moved from one marriage to another. Well, and so often when we're grieving something or our life has suddenly taken a 90 degree sharp turn in a direction we never saw coming. It's, it is really easy to then just sort of flounder a little bit and start grasping at anything to get some stability back and to try and get some kind of normalcy back. Or I thought it was supposed to be going this direction and, and God, you led me off this cliff and you took me over here. How do I get back on the road and wh- whatever it takes how, and however quickly I can do it, I just need to get back on the, my path. Right. Well, and that's where the difference between God's timing and my will were at odds with each other. I wanted to be in a relationship. I thought that's what success was for me, being a wife. And that's how I always saw myself. So I didn't allow myself the time to heal and get my feet back under me like I should. But the silver lining from that relationship was absolutely my third daughter. We didn't expect her. He's told me that he couldn't have kids. So she was unexpected. Miracle baby. She was an absolute blessing too. So aside from that, though, he was very narcissistic. So for some people, I can say the word narcissism, and they will know exactly what that means and exactly what that relationship is about. But for other people, what that meant to me was he stripped away friends and family. There was always verbal abuse daily, some days worse than others, but that just his form of communication He would do something called gaslighting, which basically he would make me feel crazy because my memory of something didn't match up with his memory or how he thought that it should be. And kind of like alter your reality. And I think that's a lot of what narcissists do is you can't describe what they're doing because they alter so much of what goes on. He ultimately had control over all aspects of the house and everything that went on in the house. You know, Rachel, as you're describing marriage to a man that's narcissistic and controlling, there are going to be a lot of women who know exactly what that's like. And there are going to be a lot of people that have no clue and they just, they don't understand. And they think, well, why would you let him have that control? Isn't that just kind of easy to say no and just not allow that to happen? But I've spoken with so many women who have been in those relationships and and to hear them explain what it's like and how they got there. And once they're out, they look back and they sort of think, how did I allow that to happen? So I just wondered, just wondered kind of what, you know, what your thoughts are on that. You know, if somebody says, well, why, why did you let him be narcissistic and controlling? 
That's a totally fair question because I've asked myself that question <laughs> so many times. Part of it is I think my personality of being shy and insecure was a perfect match for someone who is controlling and overbearing because my personality likes to have a leader. And then part of it, a narcissistic person, when they're nice to you, can be so nice. And to begin with, everything was good. And then when things started getting not so good, you would apologize to begin with and say, oh, no, I'll never be that way again. And I guess what I'm trying to say is it was kind of insidious. It kind of happened over time. He started out being so good and and I was the center of his world. But then when I wanted to be independent and be my own person, he'd start drawing the reins in. And to begin with, he would pay attention to the girls. But then as they started to become their own people, he started pushing back and started just being more and more abusive to them. So it was a slow process that took place. And to this day, he has good qualities. He can be very gregarious and likable to people, which is what I identified with to begin with. But you kind of get in deeper and deeper. And I was constantly running interference between him and the girls. That was kind of my role in the house, was trying to be the peacekeeper and keeping them as safe as I could and keeping things as calm as I could. But things would get worse and worse and worse. There were several times, in fact, that I would, that I packed my bag after a particular fight or a particular incident, and I would get the girls in the car and I would go to leave. Sometimes we'd even get ready to go somewhere, but I never really had a place to go. I mean, I could have gone to my parents. I just, I never had the courage to actually leave. You know, saying that just sounds so similar to all the stories I've heard from other women in similar situations. It's a really common story. And, you know, I was curious how this was for the girls. Were their personalities similar to yours or or totally different in sort of handling this, (laughs) this chapter of their lives? Well, you know, they come into the world with their own personalities, for sure. The abuse in the house was getting worse and worse. And my oldest daughter was a very, very sweet very just a loving child i can remember her as a baby we would go to a store if there was a stuffed animal i could put the stuffed animal in the cart and she would love on it until we were done and i'd say just give it a hug and she'd give it a kiss and put it back in there she was just a very agreeable child but she was being controlled by someone who was overbearing and didn't allow her to be herself And it kept getting worse and worse, and I probably should have left. But in my mind, I already had one marriage where it had failed, and my daughters were bouncing back and forth on weekends between our house and their father's house. And I thought, for my youngest daughter's sake, that I needed to continue to fight for this marriage. But as she got older, I realized that he was just as abusive to her And he would even play her off of her sisters and cause fights, almost like it was a sport. So it it didn't get better. And in fact, at one point, my middle daughter reached out to her school counselor. There was an incident that happened in the house, and I wasn't here to witness it. But it was actually one of the times where he was physically aggressive towards her. And as a result of her story, the counselor called Protective Services. So they were in our home very shortly, very quickly after that. 
And I remember sitting there very dumbfounded during that meeting, thinking, how, how can he lie himself out of yet another situation? But he was always able to talk himself out of any situation that occurred. Looking back at that, though, I am so ashamed of myself for not supporting my daughter in her courage that she had to speak up. And this was only one occasion. There were so many occasions where my kids showed so much courage to stand up for themselves, especially my my middle daughter. She's very spunky and <laughs> and <laughs> she definitely learned not to take anything off of anyone. <laughs> But I wasn't the supportive mom. I didn't do what I needed to to keep her safe. I, you know, I just want to say from what I know about you and your story, while I'm sure, I'll admit as many others do, while you look back and sort of think, I messed that up or I should have done this, I shouldn't have done that, you had the intention of protection. You, oh, you wanted to do what was best for them. That was the motivation. That was the intention. That was the goal. The heart was there to be an incredible mother and do anything for your girls, which also I think maybe plays into kind of the next chapters that come in your career life. Mm -hmm. It did. So in my career life, I had been using my degree to work my way up in nursing homes. I had done activities and then I did social work and discharge planning from rehab facilities. And then I got a job that I absolutely loved where I would go into elderly people's homes that were in danger of being institutionalized in a nursing home or an assisted living where they needed just a little bit of extra help, whether it was bathing assistance or rides to the doctor or whatever. And I was doing a job as a case manager and I absolutely loved it. But the company I work for, it was a research project that I was working for and they were trying to make it a permanent part of what they were doing and went to Medicare to ask to include this. And Medicare said, no, we don't do long-term in-home care. So ultimately what happened was they ended up eliminating the program and closing the department down. And what I noticed was the nurses that were working in the department were able to find jobs fairly quickly and did fairly well versus those of us with a social service type background kind of struggled a little bit more. So that was when I decided that it was time to go back to school and finally pursue that nursing degree that I'd always kind of had in the back of my mind. (laughs) So it was also another example where God was keeping me on the right path and that it was his timing that mattered and not my timing and my will because this happened during a downturn in the economy mm-hmm. and everybody and their brother was trying to get into nursing school. So I was completing prerequisites and thinking I was going to have a pretty easy time getting into a nursing program. And it took a little bit of persistence of going back a couple of years and applying, but I ended up getting into a bachelor's degree program with OHSU and I absolutely loved it. It was the perfect place for me. And I got through the first year I did great. I loved it. It was everything I thought I was finally achieving my goals. But then when I went back the second year, just a couple of weeks into the first term of the second year, I found out that I had breast cancer and I had to drop out of nursing school. You know, there's so often that we're on a certain path and it seems like things are finally working. They're Mm -hmm. finally lining up. It's finally right. And then all of a sudden a door slams in your face. Right. And don't we pray 
I mean, I pray now for God to close the doors that I'm not supposed to go through and open the ones I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but sometimes there's a little bit more, I don't know the right word, but the image is much more profound <laughs> sometimes than others. Yeah. And here you are doing this wonderful thing and all of a sudden, cancer? Cancer. But you know, my joke was I should have gotten nursing school credit for that because I learned so much from being a patient and that perspective. And honestly, that was the hardest thing that I went through in my life. I went through chemotherapy. I went through radiation, reconstruction, the whole nine yards. I had stage four breast cancer. Uh, But I wouldn't change that experience for the world because it taught me so many valuable lessons in life. If I can ask, what was what was your marriage like during all of that? I mean, that going through cancer puts a huge pressure and strain on even the most wonderful, stable role model marriage. Right. And we definitely didn't have that. I remember sitting in my first chemo treatment and we were trying to set up a schedule for me to continue forward and i needed to have my husband to be able to drive me back and forth and his concern was that my chemotherapy might interfere with his schedule to do hockey oh and So we literally arranged my entire chemotherapy around his chance to play hockey at noontime, not interfering with that. And that's kind of, you know, at the time I felt like he was being supportive, but he really, I, I, I think he did the best he knew how to do. But for example, I had friends at work that wanted to send meals home with him because we both work for the same company. They wanted to send meals home with him so that it was a support. And I was so just mortified of how our home life was. I couldn't even accept little things like that, just little bits of help here and there. He made it so that the support that should have been there for us and that people were offering, I just, it it wasn't there because I didn't want people to see past the facade of supposedly having a decent marriage versus what it was really like at home. That's such a common thing, no matter what the story is. There's something in us that just sort of wants to protect that outer image. Right. Especially if we feel like we've quote unquote failed with the outer image once before. We really don't want to the second time or the third time. Right. And I've learned now that if you just own it, that's half the battle. And that people will probably not judge you as harshly as you're judging. Well, and that's kind of the whole point, really, behind behind Story Night. I mean, we, we talked about the fact that no matter what story you have, you're not alone. Right. And, and in addition to that, everybody has a story. Nobody's story is what you see on the um, exterior. Absolutely. (laughs) Nobody. (laughs) No. And in fact, a lot of people are struggling. And I think that maybe for at least part of it, that people didn't think that, didn't realize how much we were struggling, how much my girls were struggling. I think that the more that we got into it and the more challenges that got piled on top of us, cracks were probably starting to show you know, as you look back over the cancer journey and just sort of what things were like within your marriage during that time, what about your daughters? How were they affected? They're already dealing with an abusive home life. Mm-hmm. And and now, now mom has cancer. Right. 
And like I said earlier, they all have their own personalities. My oldest daughter, she was a sweet, sweet child and was already kind of an introvert, um, became more and more distant. I learned later, like years later, that she never told her friends that I had cancer. She was in high school. I got some calls from her counselor talking about her anxiety at school. And I knew that she was having a really hard time with the diagnosis, but I really didn't know how to cope with that. I was trying my best to cope with it on my part. And I was trying to protect her from, protect all three of them. I think as the oldest child, she kind of got the brunt of a lot of things. And and I was really trying not to overwhelm them with details, but she was a teenager And I think she would have done so much better if she was given more information, if she knew more about the prognosis, if she knew more about the treatment. And even maybe if I had asked her to drive me to some of those chemo appointments and such. It's another instance where my heart was in the right place, but I did it the totally wrong way. My other daughters, (laughs) my youngest daughter is very creative. And I think she was just... I want to say second grade maybe, but she would go to school. She would walk to school and she would come up with some very interesting stories. I can remember one of her teachers calling me and saying, I'm so sorry. I gave her a cookie today and I didn't realize that she was allergic to gluten and she wasn't. It was just something where she even came up with that. I have no idea but she could weave a story and and have people believe her. And I think that was her way of focusing some attention on her and making herself a little bit more okay. Because I think that through all of that, the focus was on me way too much. And the kids got even more lost in, and, and my, my ability to run interference and, and to advocate for them wasn't there because I was struggling a lot of days rather than being there for them. So Rachel, I was hoping you can share a little bit about a chapter that I know, especially with this weekend, brings up a lot of pain. Absolutely. So no secret that it was a tough going in this house and things got tougher even as I was going through and being treated for cancer. And there were many, many times that I failed as a mother to nurture my daughters and keep them safe. And it was especially true for my oldest daughter with her sweet and sensitive personality, being the oldest and taking on the burden of being the oldest child. As a teenager, she became more and more withdrawn. And I just thought that was a normal part of being a teenager, but I was wrong. (laughs) I was really wrong about that. Shortly after she turned 18, she turned 18 in October and then everything came to a head one night in January. My middle daughter came downstairs one night to tell me that she had been up in her room crying for quite a long time and she was worried about her. My oldest daughter had been isolating herself in her room for several days, and I was trying to give her space based on one of the times that we actually made it to a counselor, and we made an agreement that I would give her her space to work through things, um, and she would talk when she was ready. But it had been several days, and I was wanting to reach out to her, but we ended up arguing instead. To this day, I don't know why she was so upset. 
I can assume that it had something to do with the tension in our house and the fact that my husband was trying to push her out of the house, even though she hadn't even graduated from high school at that point. But I don't know any of this for sure because she's never shared it with me. It's completely her story, and I hope someday that she does share it with me. What ultimately ended up happening that night, though, was I ended up drawing a hard line in the sand and our conversation got very heated and was bordering on her trying to physically push me out of her room. So I ended up saying that if she was going to be that kind of disrespectful to me that she needed to leave the house. My intent was you need to leave the house to cool down. But for her, that was kind of a breaking point. It was 1130 on a very cold January night and she left the house with her cell phone and I don't think anything else. I don't think she even put a jacket on. I guess she almost immediately called her dad to come from about an hour away to come pick her up, but I didn't know that and I tried almost immediately to get her to come back in the house and that I would give her space that we had agreed on. But It didn't work. She ended up leaving the house that night and she really has not had very much contact with me since that time. She has made that choice very clear. What I can say is that even though she doesn't want me in her life, there's a part of me that's very, very proud of her for standing up for herself and having the strength to do what was right for herself. Um, We raise our kids. And I truly believe this. We raise our kids to be healthy, happy, independent people. And once they grow up and move out of the house, that it's kind of a bonus, even when there's a great relationship, to continue to have a close relationship with our kids. I think we want them to be these independent people. It's just the way that everything kind of came to a head and how that ended that is difficult. It's been five years now since she's moved out and moved on and she is doing her own thing. And and I rely a lot on family members to assure me that she's still doing well. And she continues to make it clear that she doesn't want to have a relationship with me. And I'm doing my best to respect the boundaries that she's setting because she's got to deal with her own things. She's still my daughter and I pray for her every day. And I have faith that someday in her, God's timing with her cooperation, she'll someday want to have a relationship with me again on her terms. So there's hope there. You know, there is always hope. But I can only imagine the the grief and the pain within that story. And just like you said, there is another story within the story. And that is her story to share. And I think just every mom out there would say the same thing, even if they've emotionally lost a child or relationally lost a child, the love for that child and the prayers for that child don't stop. Absolutely. She will always be my daughter, whether she wants to or not. (laughs) Which is very much, you know, very much a picture of our relationship with God. How many of us did leave the house and said, I don't, I'm, I'm not having a relationship with you anymore, God, I'm done, I'm leaving. And he does the same thing for each of us, no matter how long you leave me, no matter how little you talk to me, no matter how far away you run, you are still my child. I love you. I am praying for you. And the door is always open. Right. 
And he just pursues us that way. Um, and now you had kind of started um, at the at the beginning of your story sharing that you had some something of a religion or a understanding of or belief in God, but that, that wasn't really a relationship yet. And as you're navigating through a, a second marriage, um, a troubled home life, cancer, the loss of a daughter, has God started to, to show up in different ways during oh, some of these hard times? Absolutely. I think when I started going through cancer treatment, I was starting to understand the idea of having a relationship with God. And I thought that that was going to be a perfect opportunity for me to develop that relationship. It wasn't quite the right time. I asked people to pray for me because I understood that idea, but I never prayed for myself. Things felt like everything had been stripped away, but it still wasn't truly enough for me to have a relationship with God. But with that said, I can still look back and I knew, I knew in my heart that I was going to recover from all of the cancer and that I would get through it. God was still with me and guiding me through things. I just didn't fully understand that yet. And then as things continued to decline in my marriage, there were times I tried to advocate for us to go to church, but there was always an excuse, just as much me as it was for him, for us not to go to church and not to work on that, that relationship aspect with God, when frankly, I couldn't even have a relationship, a healthy relationship in my home. So it would take my marriage ultimately disintegrating before I would be able to develop a relationship with God. So I did want to ask you about that chapter of your story. Um, you are cancer-free now? I am cancer-free now. It's been, I can't believe it's been almost eight years since. Praise God. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. Oh. So you you did get this happy ending from your Absolutely. cancer journey. But something else ended also. That would be my marriage. And I said from the very beginning, he gave me so many reasons not to be married to him. So just kind of a couple of examples after going through nursing school, graduating from nursing school, making it through cancer, he felt that he had provided so much support to me that I owed him a boat. And honestly, I thought it was a joke. I, I couldn't imagine someone actually feeling like, that there needed to be payment for doing something that a spouse would, as part of being a spouse and part of being there for your spouse. But he was serious. That was truly what he felt I owed him. Another example, the closer I got to graduating, he kept saying to me that I was going to find this hot doctor and that I was going to cheat on him. And I kind of picked up on the fact that he was worried that I was going to cheat on him, which was an insult to me because that's not my character. And I also thought there was a little bit of his off humor in that too. But what I realized later, looking back on it, that he was deflecting, which is something that he did a lot. He would accuse either me or the girls of doing something that he was actually doing. So what I learned shortly after I got my first nursing position was that he was actually cheating on me. Sadly, it was, again, my, my middle daughter and her courage. She came and told me what was going on because I was completely blind to it. Again, there were so many clues, but I chose not to see them. 
what I found out later, though, was that he had actually been cheating on me the entire marriage. So just when things were supposed to be getting easier, my world got turned upside down again. And honestly, it's embarrassing to me that what finally got him kicked out of the house was his cheating because it should have been all the abuse and standing up for my daughters. That should have been enough. But it was the cheating that finally got him kicked out of the home. After I kicked him out of the house, I quickly got a legal separation to protect myself and my daughters. But I was relying very heavily on 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which to me was telling me that God didn't approve of divorce and did not like divorce. Plus, my husband was saying he wanted to get back together with me. His actions didn't match his words, though. He continued to be abusive to me and my da- and our daughter, and he actually never stopped dating other women. I don't think he ever even realized that what he did during our marriage was wrong. So it took a couple of years, but I realized that no father, that our God, no father, would want their daughter to be treated like I had been treated for so long and that my daughters had been treated for so long. I also eventually came to realize that for me, at least, the sin was not divorcing, but actually marrying someone that was not a good husband. So it took me four years, but eventually I did divorce him. Well, I think you touched on something that so many women I know who have been in similar situations have talked about. And it's just that, especially when you're kind of looking at it through a Christian perspective and just sort of have one rule in your mind. Right. I can't divorce. I can't divorce. God doesn't like divorce. But to your point also, he has no intention or desire for his daughter's or or his sons for that matter you could you could switch the story to be in a relationship with addiction abuse or adultery right that's in the bible too it's interesting how many women maybe stay when they shouldn't right and and then how many women give up real quickly and leave just because they don't get along rather than fighting for their marriage right and then for me moving out it took me 4 years to actually divorce And I can't tell you how many people became judgmental of me for not quickly divorcing. I got to the point that I didn't even want to explain to people why I wasn't divorced yet. For me, it wasn't the right time. And we, we, meaning my daughters and I, were okay. And I knew that by filing for divorce, it was going to open up a whole other can of worms with someone who doesn't think rationally. So I was trying to leave well enough alone, but it got to the point that there were things that were happening that just finally filing for that divorce and making it final was the right thing for me. And I hope that other people do what's right for them. Absolutely. So here you are at the end of the second marriage, but you mentioned something at the beginning of that insecurity. And after the first marriage ended, you jumped right back in to a new relationship. Did that come up again? Like, Were you faced with this new sense of strength and courage and freedom and just confidence in being a single mom? Or did you find yourself right back buried in insecurity? So largely, talk about irony. My husband has a friend that was a pastor that he went to as soon as he was kicked out of the house, almost immediately. And 
this friend called me and said, I want to help support you. And he ended up being literally a godsend. God put him in my life to help me get through what could have been such a horrible divorce. He was the one that counseled me on how to protect myself with a legal separation and how to interact with him. And to this day, four years later, he still runs interference between the two of us. If there is an issue, he will do the talking between the two of us. Um, if things start to melt down. And he's taught me how to deal with him. And and he has pointed me in so many directions on finding ways to heal. So God put someone in my life during all of that to help me figure out how to get my feet under me, how to heal, how to move forward and not just fall back into my same bad choices that I've had for so long. And so now where is God in your life? God is now first in this household. He's the head of the household, and I know he will get us through anything because he always had. I thought my youngest daughter needed to go to church and have that kind of stability because she needed it, but truthfully, we both needed it, and we both have learned so much. But it really, truly took stripping everything away from my life before I would turn to God and lean on God and figure out how to have a relationship and make God first and foremost in my life. Well, as we start to wrap up a little bit here, you've shared about a you know sheltered childhood and some insecurities. You've shared about two failed marriages and what happened in each of those. You've shared about being a mother to three amazing daughters. You've shared about a broken relationship with one. You've shared about a cancer journey and through it all, developing a relationship with God. And so particularly as we're sort of thinking about this weekend, this Mother's Day weekend, for any woman who's listening that might identify with some part of your story, would you just share any words of maybe hope or encouragement with them? So I think one of the first things that comes to mind People would always comment to me about how strong I was going through cancer or when I left my husband or this or that or the other. And I never felt strong. In fact, I think that I was a pretty weak person in so many ways. But I think I made choices to move forward and to keep going. Not always the right choices, but I think that's what people see as being strong strong. So I think the first thing is that people need to see the strength in themselves that they have, because even if you don't feel strong, you are still making strong choices a lot of the time. And I think the same is true of forgiveness. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. And sometimes that choice is much easier to make than others. And sometimes you have to make that choice over and over again, And then hopefully someday the feeling will follow the choice to forgive someone. Um, But it's an important thing for yourself, not necessarily for the other person, but for yourself. And then for me, healing occurred when I got out of my own head and started looking at other people and trying to help other people. I found that when I turned my own lens outward, I could see, as you stated earlier, everybody's got a story and most people have struggles. Some people have little struggles, but a lot of people are struggling significantly and we just don't see it. And so 
I found for me healing occurred when I was able to help other people. It seems strange, but often when I was helping other people with their burdens, it would make my burden lighter as well. And then finally, I think hope is always an important value to have. Life is constantly changing and nothing lasts forever. I think that we can see that today really clearly with the coronavirus and how everything got turned upside down for people almost overnight. We'll get through it just like we get through everything else because it's not going to last forever. And I think my favorite thing is that God gives us a reset button every day. We get a new day to try again. So for me, I have hope that someday my daughter and I, my oldest daughter and I, will have a relationship again. And I am very hopeful about my future. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for opening your story to us. I really appreciate that you stepped out of your comfort zone to do this. Well, thank you. I'm, I appreciate very much that you gently nudged me out of my comfort zone because I have found a lot of value in doing this for myself. So thank you. Happy to. Um, you are not the only one. There are many women that maybe hesitate at first and then they start reflecting back. And it's just a really beautiful journey to take. Uh, I know I've mentioned this on at least one other episode, but I just encourage every woman to write out your life story. And maybe you only share it with one family member 10 years from now, or or maybe you're one of our future live speakers and we have 500 women in the audience at that time. I don't know. But I think every story has great value. And I know there's somebody that listened to this that needed to hear it. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate you taking that that leap of faith and being vulnerable because our stories our stories are sacred. And it's it's a really sweet and precious thing to share them and to sort of entrust our stories to the listeners. As we end tonight, particularly Mother's Day weekend, would you like to close us in prayer? I would be happy to. Thank you. So thank you, Father, for giving me this opportunity to share my story. And hopefully someone can identify with it and maybe feel a little less alone. I pray that women don't feel alone and that they can identify with me and my story on some level. Father, I pray that those women that do identify give themselves some grace for any of the poor choices maybe that they've made in their lives that they may feel the grace that you've already given them because you gave them grace long before they ever asked for it. Father, I pray for the women to have strength to continue forward and to make choices with you and to lean on you. Finally, Father, you have been with me through my entire life, even when I did not choose a relationship with you. So I ask of you now that as others look back over their lives, that you reveal to them where you were and where your hand has been in their lives and that they feel your presence now. For these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And as we say goodnight to everybody, I wanted to just mention one thing, another bit of gratitude I have that you are one of the leaders of the Calvary Mac hospitality team. Just fits perfectly with our sweet nurse over here. So for anyone who is in need of anything, just know that we have this incredible hospitality team. Rachel is one of them. So you can find out more at calvarymac.com. You can reach out to her. You can reach out to me. And if there's anything we can help you with or any resources we can offer you or, or any prayer we can give you, let us know.
Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time for another story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.